This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Haystacker is going to be in the Dallas, Texas area this Friday. Guess what? We are bringing the Stacking Benjamin Show to FinCon which this year is in Dallas, on Friday, this Friday, if you're listening when the show comes out, October 27th. The fun starts at 1 p.m. because it's part of a bigger event called Your Money Live. And if you head to yourmoneylive.com, you'll see that at 1 o'clock, there's a meet and greet with some of the big names in personal finance, like Mr. David Bach, rapper D1, both of which have been on this show before, and... After our taping at two o'clock of the Stacky Benjamin Show, you can attend workshops hosted by some of our friends like Chris Peach from The Money Peach, Ty and Talit McNeely from His and Her Money, and then at four o'clock, witness the awesome spectacle of the main stage where people like Farnoosh Tarabi, Lynette Kilfani Cox, D1, and David Bach all are going to perform. But of course, the highlight of that, the amazing MC, yours truly. So to get in, it normally costs. 40 bucks to get into this thing but you know what if you use this special code you will get in for free here's what you do go to yourmoneylive.com and it's joe yml it's like joey ml if you go to joe if you put in joey ml in the box you'll get in for free avoid the 40 bucks come see our show live our tapings at two o'clock and uh, festivities start at one From Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. Hey everyone, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor Doug, and on today's show, we're automating everything down here. I just picked up this cool contraption that washes clothing, another one that completely dries it, Somebody just told me about this other thing that'll let you change channels on the television without getting up from your chair. It's crazy! Here to help us celebrate all this automation and to tell you just how long you add till your job's handed over to a robot, we welcome from the Robo Global Exchange Traded Fund, William Studebaker. Also, we'll share headlines about a pop star being ripped off to the tune of a million dollars, answer your questions, throw out the Haven Lifeline to a lucky listener, and more. And now, two guys who think that automation's all about having me take out the trash, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. If I don't touch it, that means it's automated, right? I thought automation has to do with cars. That's auto-nation. Oh, I always get those, like, M's and N's screwed up in cursive. You know, you can never... Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of why we 
didn't do well in third grade. My name is Joe Salcihai, Evershow Money on Twitter, and across the table from me, Mr. I Don't Do Cursive, uh, the one and only OG. It always amazes me when I see somebody actually write in cursive like perfectly. You're like, wow, that is so neat. I need a typewriter to write that neat. <laughs> if only they had a font that did that. <laughs> exactly. That would be fantastic. You know what they do have, OG? They've got all kinds of uh, fun automation now when it comes to investing, because traditionally you had choices when it came to online investing. Choice one was a traditional self-directed brokerage that offered a lot of customization, but they also hit you with commissions every trade. On top of that, they can be clunky and unintuitive. More passive people can choose option number two. There's this rising trend of automated brokerages that allow you to easily invest in a portfolio they manage for you. But then you completely hand over the controls. You find yourself trusting some black box of software, and you can't really personalize the portfolio with that. So to me, both of those are compromises. Well, guess what? Why compromise with your money? With M1 Finance, you don't have to. They offer a balanced solution like nothing you've ever seen before. Set up a personalized portfolio perfectly tailored to your needs and your own investing goals. And then that portfolio is automatically managed by their advanced technology. First thousand bucks is free. After that, it's only 0.25% for accounts up to 100,000. Why am I talking about that, OG, what it costs? Because you know what it costs? If you use Stacking Benjamins in the discount code, guess what? The first year M1 has... No cost. Over and above, of course, the cost of of the exchange-traded fund. It is free. You're going to pay the exchange-traded fund costs no matter where you are. Yeah. M1 Finance, be invested. StackingBenjamins.com forward slash M1 Finance. We'd also like to thank LinkedIn for supporting Stacking Benjamins. The best place to find great talent for your hiring needs is LinkedIn. Businesses rate LinkedIn 40% higher than job boards at delivering quality candidates. And for a $50 credit toward your first job post, head to linkedin.com slash SB. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks, LinkedIn. Thanks to you for listening. You're going to thank us because we've got a great show for you. Some amazing headlines today. And William Studebaker talking about automation. How long do you think it's going to be till robots take over this podcast, OG? I don't think any robots would want to take over this podcast. <laughs> robots. I don't have. To, I don't think we have to worry about Skynet. Robots dropping like, in. Why would you want to do that? Right. But we've got some headlines, so let's move. Hello, darlings, and now it's time for your favorite part of the show: our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Here's another reminder that you need to be diligent about the people that you work with. This comes to us from New York Daily News. Mark Anthony, you know the singer Mark Anthony, OG. Yeah, personally. I call him MT. <laughs> I don't know Mark, Mark Tony? Well, that's my little, you know. <laughs> you don't do cursive. Name. You can't, you don't know A's and T's. Mark Anthony's accountant busted for stealing $2.5 million from the singer. Mark Anthony got robbed blind by one of his accountants to the tune of $2.5 million, according to a report that's written by Shana Jacobs and Nancy Dillon. Kyle. Tessero secretly siphoned the mountain of cash from Anthony's accounts over the last eight years without the Grammy winning singer even noticing TMZ first reported. Here's how it happened. How how do you think these these uh, thieves get away with this kind of stuff? Because it's it's almost the same every time. Well, I suppose it's just a little bit at a time is what my guess would be. You hire somebody. They talk a good game. You implicitly trust them. All of that, all that stuff is fine. You have to, you have to trust the people that are around you, but then they never spot check, right? You never go in and just check the work. And that appears to be what happened in this case, because it says that uh, Tessero started helping himself to Anthony's cash shortly after he took a job in 2007 with a prominent New York accounting firm that also counts Drake and Pharrell among its star-studded clients. He ran up the $2.5 million tab on Anthony's American Express card. So he helped himself to Anthony's Amex card. <laughs> that's that's classic. And then he used his access to Anthony's bank account to pay down the balance. So he would use the credit card, and then he'd pay off the credit card while he's paying Mark Anthony's bills for him, right? Huh. Interesting. I had a client. I guess you got to... I had a client. I would never think, I'm sorry, I, I'm, I'm still flabbergasted that I guess there are people out there that pay other people's bills, right? That, you know, yeah. you have kind oh, yeah. of carte blanche access, but. Well, sure. You think about how, you know, A, these people are busy, but B, they also, you just get used to living a certain lifestyle because you've got so much cash coming in and out all the time, but you got to spot check these people. I had a, I had a client when I was a financial planner 
who would come in and who would ask the most difficult questions when we'd get together. And the and it was really frustrating for me. He would say, okay, we're all set. And he, he told me about three years into our relationship that he never actually looked at the stuff between our meetings. He would just come in and ask the right questions to make sure he would look at the statements. He'd go through as many light items as possible, and then he wouldn't look at it. I don't know that he should have admitted to me that he didn't look at it between meetings. That's kind of risky, but that spot checking, I'll tell you what, that kept me on my toes, and I think it's not a bad thing to do with the people you hire. Spot check them. Well, you would do that for the you know, the lawn care guy, right? I mean, if somebody's out there mowing your grass, you're going to walk out and take a look at it every so often and make sure that they got it all, right? Which, you know, why would you not do that with your... American Express bill or your bank account and say, you know, which one's most important? Well, the grass, obviously, but Clearly. I'm just saying like beyond that. Speaking of grass, I saw. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, boy, here it comes. <laughs> well, maybe we'll save that one for later. Uh, second headline comes to us from Market Watch. Here's some more people getting ripped off, but they're actually ripping themselves off. OG by not paying attention. High school grads missed out on two point three billion dollars in free money. This is written by Anna Helhosky. I'm not going to tell you what this article is about besides the fact that it's about scholarships, but we see this, these headlines, 2.3 billion in free money. What's the first thing that you think? Because I definitely had a thought when I first read this. Clickbait? Yeah. That, you know, if you've got six (laughs) fingers on your right hand, you're eligible for a scholarship that you can't get. If you're somebody in this little niche organization, you're going to get some money. And so I think, yeah, okay, there's $2.3 billion in free money swimming around out there that really isn't swimming around out there. We hear about that all the time, that all this college scholarship money, the, the people that do college scholarship stuff, they live on telling you there's a bunch of money out there that, that may or may not be out there. This isn't that case, OG. You know what this is? The high school class of 2017 left as much as $2.3 billion in free federal grant money for college on the table because they didn't complete or submit the free application for federal student aid called the FAFSA form. So they missed out on Pell Grants. People eligible for Pell Grants, which is federal student loans, didn't fill out the form even though they were going to college and paid for it when there's a program for that. Yeah, not federal, not even federal student loans. They're federal grants. Federal right? grants. Yeah. Did I say yeah, student loan? Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 No, no, no. There's a few things that you have to do when you're getting ready to go to college, right? One of them is sit down and fill out that FAFSA. Don't That's, assume you're not going to get money. Yeah. Well, it's surprising that there's people that don't do it because near as I can tell, just about every school requires it now. Right. right? Well, I mean, but, to even get any sort of school aid in, in, in as much as uh, discounted meals or whatever. It's all based off the FAFSA. This may not be exactly the way that it works, but this is the way it was told to me. And it makes it make sense in my head. OG is that the school says, says, Hey, we've got all this endowment money, right? We don't want to spend this money until we find out that the person could get money from the state. And so they go, they go to the state and the state goes, we got this money, but our coffers aren't that big. We're not going to give you any money until you bleed the, the feds first. So everybody then, because of that, fills out the, the FAFSA form. That is the same application. In many cases, the same exact application that first it goes through, they send it through the feds. If you don't get any money there, then they send it through the state, then they send it through the school. Might not work exactly like that, but I like thinking about it that way. If I fill out that one form, I'm looking at three different levels of aid and sometimes even more. Yeah. So you got to fill out the FAFSA every, every year. Yeah. Find out from the school's financial aid office when all the forms are due and uh, make, make that happen. Don't leave that money on the table. I think that's two lessons here. Number one, don't cheat yourself out of money if you're attending college by not filling out the FAFSA form. And number two, don't let other people cheat you out of money. Spot check the work. Make sure yes. the people around you are doing their job. And even, even though the vast majority of people aren't stealing from you, you still might learn a little more about your money. And you also might find that the people around you appreciate the fact that you're interested in actually seeing how this thing works. Mm-hmm. Bill Studebaker upstairs talking to Mom OG. He's the president and chief information officer at Robo Global. He's also. Say that three times real fast. 
They are an exchange-traded fund looking at automation. And we hear all the time that, that robots are going to steal our jobs. We hear that, that automation is coming very quickly. Where are the opportunities for automation on one side in our investing portfolio? What's going on there? But also, when it comes to your job, we hear all these stories. We talk about basic income sometimes because there's not going to be enough for us to do. We talk about robots taking over some of the most basic tasks. So this guy's right in the middle of it. He not only worked for Robo Global, he was with Apex Capital from April 2002 to June 2015, was a portfolio manager there covering industrials. For the previous seven years, he held a number of positions at Merrill Lynch. He was a trader on the New York Stock Exchange floor, most recently a director in institutional equity sales. He was an analyst in the structured finance group of Cargill. He received his BA in political science and international relations double major from the University of Wisconsin. He's a badger, OG. Scanny. A badger. Let's say hello, Phil Studebaker from Robo Global, coming down to the basement. And coming down the stairs from Robo Global Robotics and Automation, it's Bill Studebaker. Have a seat, man. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm excited, but I think that you know more than I do that I'm not going to have a job as a podcaster five years from now because I'm sure the way you guys look at it, there's going to be some robot who's in this chair. Is that true? Well, I think you may be able to keep your job, but I, I think that the employment considerations always a kind of fun, yet it's a pretty galvanizing you know, topic. I mean, as I think about it, automation brings affordability to the masses, and we've actually been automating for, for hundreds of years. So what's going on now is really just an extension of what we've been doing. And, you know, there are a lot of a sort of media pundits out there that seem to suggest that robots are going to take over the world. And there are studies that suggest pretty meaningful employment disruption, but I've got a little bit different view, which is really that you know automation actually increases as it increases across every part of the sector of the economy. New job creation rises too, and I think everyone's pretty aware with what's going on with Amazon. Amazon has had a pretty ambitious focus on bringing robotizations to their company. They've actually deployed a hundred thousand robots to fulfillment. And interestingly, when they started this sort of uh, migration back in 2014, they had 45,000 workers. And today they employ over 90,000 and they continue to add. And so I think that going forward, while some industries and some tasks, which are very structured, will likely be automated, what's not going to be automated is complete industries for the most part. So I think most people can rest assured that they will have a job going forward. So no podcasting robots coming in the next five years. Not, I'm not aware of one, but uh, I guess you never know. There is disruption out there. You know, my dad is a retired GM guy, Bill, and uh, you you also probably know this. When I was a kid, I'd go with him sometimes to the shop, and we were fabricating doors. And, man, that place was piled full of people. I went on a tour with him last year. He works part-time for a supplier now. And I walked through with him, and it's a bunch of people watching robots do the work. What do you think about worker training? Is the pace of training going to have to change? Well, I think that's a big component of, of how we're going to have to evolve. I mean, first of all, the uh, the four-year degree being a panacea for the future, I think, is left in the dust. We're moving from an economy that's been very consumer-driven to now that's becoming very data-driven and digital. And as we transition this way, it's going to require new training and continuous training. And I think that that's going to be something that's going to be pretty important for the global economy to adapt to. And just as we've adapted to all parts of, of automation, right? Back in uh, the late 1800s, we were principally an agrarian economy where 60% of the workforce was in ag, and we've migrated into mass production and become a service economy and, and everything else. Well, right now, the ag part of the economy now only employs 2% of the population. So wow. people have learned to do new tasks. I think that nothing different is gonna happen this time, and we're gonna continue on that you know, same sort of migration. Let's move over to investing, and uh, your index has been on a tear the last 12 months, and I think even before that. When, we, when, when you look at the exciting areas and some of the exciting things going on in robotics and automation, tell me a couple stories about what really excites you and gets you up in the morning, Bill. Well, for one, Joe, I mean, I think that, you know, we think that this is categorically one of the best investment opportunities available to investors. 
And while this industry, as you've just you know, pointed, or our index has outperformed pretty dramatically over the last 52 weeks, this is a true mega trend that's just starting. Really, what you're seeing now is the ingredients for a breakthrough are in place. You've got computer power that's growing significantly. You've got algorithms that are becoming more sophisticated. And perhaps most important of all, the world is generating vast quantities of fuel that powers AI, which is data. And we're generating billions of gigabytes every every day. And so AI, coupled with robotics, really has the potential to accelerate shifts in market share and revenue and profit pools, all that are hallmarks of digitally disrupted industries. And so what's important to think about robotics and AI is that these are foundational technologies that are being applied to all industries, all markets that's happening now. And I think the market is just beginning to come to this realization. And this new revolution that's going on is truly exponential. And it's happening faster than most people uh, realize. And industries are going to be quickly disrupted. And uh, the companies and the countries that are employing these technologies are going to do just fine. This is, in my mind, a massive opportunity for the world economy to embrace in terms of driving productivity and driving growth. And so as I sit back, you know, I, I couldn't be more excited about the opportunity from an investment standpoint. But over the next five years, I mean, we obviously see a lot of automation and transportation. And I know you just said that it's transformational around a lot of industries. But where are you excited right now where it's you're seeing automation really being deployed? Well, without a doubt, the most exciting subsector of our index and within the industry is logistics automation. When you think about what's going on now, e-commerce is growing 20% in the U.S. and 20 to 30% throughout the world. And uh, you've probably read a lot of what's happening with, with Amazon. Amazon recognized that it'd be great at e-commerce, that it'd be great at fulfillment, which is why they bought a company called Kiva Systems. That's 100,000 robots that do the fulfillment. They now are putting dramatic pressures on really the whole global economy to begin to compete with them, particularly all retailers, right? And so these technologies might have been a luxury before. Now they're a necessity. And so the e-commerce industry is putting dramatic pressures on logistics and transportation to keep caught up in terms of, of fulfillment. And this is all feeding back into the global sort of fixed retail store base that's trying to, to catch up to the disruption that's occurring. So when you look across the industry in terms of the technologies that are being employed, picking and sorting systems, automatic retrieval systems, vision systems that do trace track and control, this is a secular growth that's going to go on for years, if not decades. I know the first two, but what is this vision tracking? I'm not familiar with that. Well, if you think about vision systems, um, these are basically sensors and, and cameras that are employed throughout a warehouse or logistics facility that, that traces the packages as it migrates through. Gotcha. So you basically have instantaneous knowledge of where all your products are. And from an inventory standpoint, obviously very, very crucial um, in terms of manufacturing production, uh, when you think about how it's being used, it's being used in pharmaceutical plants where you can tell with complete accuracy if the uh, the top of some sort of medical placement is correct. You can count the number of pills that are in a bottle to know with 100% accuracy, are there 100 pills in there or are there 99 pills in there? And so it basically brings uh, precision accuracy to all parts of manufacturing. That's so exciting. Let me ask you about a, a few of the areas where a lot of our listeners might see automation and ask you uh, how far away you think these are until we see it mass produced, or if you think they will. I want to go back to cars. When do you think we're going to see uh, full fleets of uh, self-driving cars come out? Well, I think we're going to see highly autonomous vehicles begin to emerge around the year 2020. I think it's not going to be until roughly 2025 give or take a year or two before we begin to see a larger penetration of fully okay. autonomous vehicles. I think a lot needs to happen before we get to that point, particularly on the regulation side. There's a lot of considerations that we need to evaluate. Um, there may be some countries, i.e. Japan, that may be able to migrate you know, faster than, than we are. Uh, Japan has ambitions to have fully autonomous vehicles out on the road by 2020 when they host the uh, the Olympics. Wow. Are we going to see that uh, also with trains, Bill? I think you're going to see it with a lot of different vehicles. Uh, I've, before trains, uh, we're probably going to see it with commercial trucks. I mean, right, commercial right. trucks 
is an area that's very ripe for disruption. When you think about there's roughly 400,000 commercial trucking accidents that occur every year, 95% of those are a result of, of human error, i.e. the driver falling asleep. A computer will not fall asleep. I think what you're going to see that there's going to be a migration of the technology where we're going to begin to see long haul trucking that's fully autonomous going maybe from point A to point B uh, across country. But once you get into more densely populated areas or cities, what you're going to see is you're going to actually see a driver get behind the wheel and or it will be uh, sort of telematically operated, similar to like a drone would be operated by a pilot who could be piloting, you know, four or five drones at a time. So I think this is going to kind of how the technology is going to begin to emerge, but it's going to happen. Yeah, that's, I think that's pretty amazing. Let's go to restaurants. We've seen McDonald's start to move to more automated systems, right? I go up and instead of talking to a person, I talk to an iPad. I actually see that at, you know, restaurants around the country and also in airports. Are we going to see restaurant servers going bye-bye anytime soon? Well, I think that's happening as well. The automation that's happening is obviously happening in very structured environments. When you think about about the mundane task of flipping a burger and, and grilling it and then preparing it, that's something that can pretty easily be done by a robot. And I think you're going to see more and more of that happen, particularly within the quick serve, uh, probably not within um, high-end you know, white yeah. tablecloth restaurants, but it's, uh, it's happening. I'm so glad you said not in high-end restaurants. I just hate it. I'm like, really? I can't talk to a person. Maybe that's an old guy in me coming out. Like, I don't know. I don't know what that what that's all about, that I really don't like it. When we take a look at automation in general, you guys have put together the index. You can trade it if you want to, uh, ticker symbols, R-O-B-O. How did you originally put together the index? Do you have different sectors of the market and you have X percentage of each sector? Or are you guys more fluid and you're able to kind of see where the puck's headed? Well, glad you asked this question. I guess it was roughly four years ago that we created this index. And we we did it with the sort of belief and anticipation that robotics and AI were transformational technologies that were going to transform the world in ways that very few would, uh, or at the time, appreciated. Um, we wanted to invest in robotics and AI, but there weren't a lot of pure play ways to do this. Particularly, there weren't any mutual funds that were focused on this, no hedge funds, very little going on in terms of uh, venture capital and, and, uh, and private equity. So essentially what we did was we looked around and understood that there were a lot of interesting technologies out there, a lot of technologies that were embedded in larger companies that weren't really being valued or understood. And so what we did is that we actually created our own classification system for the industry. Similar to if you were to invest in the energy sector, recognizing if you thought oil prices were going up, you could buy upstream companies or downstream companies or pipelines or services, what have you. Well, the same thing kind of exists in robotics, automation, and AI. And what we did is so we just defined a company as either a technology or an application. So the technology is what makes the robot work. Okay. It's the computing, the processing, the sensing, the actuation, the integration capabilities. Then there's the use, the applications, which are the use cases. So where is this being deployed? It's being deployed into industrial automation, into warehouse automation, into food, ag, energy, healthcare, uh, drones, which is we call security and surveillance, just to name a few. And so this is how we we structured it. Then we then have a what we call a modified equal weight approach. A lot of ETFs or structured vehicles tend to be very market cap focused or market cap weighted, which sort of distorts the investment opportunity and doesn't give you access to what are typically the up and coming names. What we do is we define a company as either a bellwether, which is 40 percent of the portfolio. It's a 2 percent weighting, has roughly about 60 to 70 percent of the revenue that comes directly from robotics, automation or AI. And a non-bellwether is 60 percent of the portfolio and it has a 1 percent weighting. It has roughly around 20, 25% of revenue that comes from robotics, automation, AI. But it's really within those, those non-bellwether names that typically drive a lot of performance because those are names that probably people haven't heard of. They're names that have um, interesting uh, sort of growth characteristics. I mean, you could take a company like NVIDIA, for example, that now is kind of more of a household name in terms of being recognized as a pure play now AI company. When we put it in our index a few years ago, 
we had sort of viewed as roughly 10 to 20 percent revenue exposure to to um, robotics automation AI. They were principally a, a gaming GPU technology, right. graphics processing units. And they've migrated into auto and now into data centers, which is you know definitely playing into you know the big data story. And the stock over the last two years has tacked on roughly $80 billion in market cap. Wow. And so why is that? That's because that was a business that was misunderstood or not valued by Wall Street. You got massive earnings growth. They've basically been growing earnings and revenue at around a 50% clip year on year. And you get the multiple expansion that comes with this. So we think that right now, the benefit of investing in an index right now is that to pick the obvious winners and losers, we think is a fool's game. We've spread our bets across technologies and applications. 40% of our portfolio is US, 60% is international. That's not by design. It happens to be where the technologies exist. And uh, less than 2% of the companies in our index are in traditional indices. So that's whether that's the NASDAQ, the S&P, the Dow, it could be the Acqui All Worldwide Index. And so this is really the new source of growth. And if you compare our performance relative to like the FANG stocks, you're seeing, and particularly if you look at the FDN index, which warehouses all the FANG stocks and some other internet related companies, we've had pretty dramatic outperformance over the last 52 weeks relative to the FDN index. And I think this just speaks to the new growth that we're seeing. I mean, as we look at our index of 83 companies, just this last quarter, 80% of the companies beat the consensus estimates and they generated 24% year-on-year earnings growth. And our index trades at a 20% PE discount to the FDN index and a 40% price to book or price of sales. So we've got the growth and uh, we've got the better valuation. I think investors are beginning to pay attention. Yeah, it, and uh, I just need to define a few terms here because we've got some people that don't don't yep. don't know what the what the terms mean. When you okay. call when you call a stock a bellwether stock, that means that it's a it's going to be a big player, probably a household name. People have talked about, and that's forty percent of your index. Yes, I wouldn't say it's a household name. Well, okay, They're just All right. What we just call a bellwether. It just it's actually companies that have between sixty to seventy percent of the revenue at a minimum that corresponds directly to robotics automation and artificial intelligence. So it's it's the revenue capture that we're paying attention to, not the size of the company or the notoriety of the company, if that makes sense. Yes. Right. Yep. Yeah, and then the second question was around FANG stocks. Uh yep. I, I know what a FANG stock is. You know what a FANG stock is, but what is a FANG stock? The FANG stocks, that's an acronym for Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. And I guess you can also basically lump Microsoft in there because they should be in there. Right. But those are the big household names that everyone's focused on. And it's interesting that, you know, these are companies that I think tend to be perceived as being kind of a play in robotics and automation. What's important to recognize about the FANG stocks is that they're not making money necessarily from selling these technologies. They're actually arguably done the best job at taking these technologies and helping to enable their business. We're actually going to the gold rush, if you will, yeah. and we're bringing in the picks and shovels. Those are the companies that are in our index. So you won't find any of those FANG stocks in your index? That's correct. Yeah. None of them are in our index. Yeah. Well, man, it's it's really exciting, and I'm glad you could take some time and come down to the basement and explain it to us, man. Thanks also, though, for making sure, well, not making sure, but for verifying that at least for the next few years, I have a job. You will. <laughs> you can come work for us if not. Deal. Bill Studebaker, thanks for hanging out. Thank you. Hey there, trivia nerds. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, here with your favorite part of the show, trivia. Yeah, it's the trivia. That's your favorite part. If you forgot, with all this talk about automation and looking around at all these board games down here in the basement, let's fuse the two this week. Chess champion Gary Kasparov famously was challenged by AI Deep Blue and was finally beaten in a match. In what year did Deep Blue beat Kasparov? Big thanks to LinkedIn for supporting our podcast. Have you ever tried to hire somebody? Because it is hard. Because, you know, often your best candidates, they might already have a job. So what if you went to a place where people go daily to grow professionally and explore job opportunities? In fact, we already know that 70% of the U.S. workforce is in this place. It's called LinkedIn. 
You already know LinkedIn is the world's largest professional network. Well, it's also a better way to find great talent. Just ask any of the hundreds of thousands of businesses who've posted to LinkedIn jobs over the past year. 22 million professionals view and apply to jobs on LinkedIn every week. And because LinkedIn considers skills, experiences, location, and more to match and promote your job to potential candidates, businesses rate LinkedIn jobs as 40% higher than job boards at delivering quality candidates. Our podcast is only as good as its people. It's the same for your business. Every hire matters. So don't settle for just posting and praying the right person's going to stumble on your role and apply. Head to linkedin.com slash SB and get a $50 credit toward your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash SB for your $50 credit today. Terms and conditions apply. I've talked about this stat before, but this is scary. According to a 2016 Gallup poll, 48% of all Americans don't own any stock. And I realize it can be daunting when it's time to start something new, but here's a great thing. Getting invested is more to do with taking baby steps than leaping headfirst into Wall Street. Here's Brian Barnes, founder of M1 Finance, on just how easy it is to be invested. So you just either log on to the website or use the mobile application. We're native on Android and iOS, and it takes about three minutes, and your first $1,000 that you deposit is managed for free. I'd love to say the free $1,000 is a special deal I made for you, but uh, Brian and M1 Finance are that good to everybody. With M1, you can select from one of dozens of professionally designed portfolio pies, or you can customize it, as mom says, to your heart's content. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash M1 Finance for more. That's stackingbenjamins.com. M, the number one, finance.com for more. So just fire up their mobile app, M1 Finance, be invested. Hey, trivia fans, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Back here with today's trivia answer. Our question was this. Chess champion Gary Kasparov famously was challenged by AI Deep Blue and was finally beaten in a match. In what year did Deep Blue beat Kasparov? While Deep Blue ultimately lost the entire match to Kasparov, the first game ever where AI beat a human happened in game one of the series, which happened in 1996. Did you answer it correctly? If so, I'd show off your knowledge a little bit to all your friends today, but remember Joe's mom's advice about pride as she says, you don't want your bragging to come back and bite you later. See ya. Well, you were close, man. Off by uh, just slightly a, a more than 11 years. Yes. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I don't know. Well, you said just. Was. You said, you know, he said, when did this just happen? And then stab in the dark. I like Bill Studebaker's commentary on robots. I like that as a different viewpoint, OG, than we hear often in the in the media. Yes, as long as we don't let them become self-aware. <laughs> a second. I, I, I like that. Come back to Skynet. Well, I like, did, have you seen that lately, though, about the robots that they taught to communicate with each other? And the very first thing that they decide to do is make a new language that humans won't understand. <laughs> like the very, oh, really? They, no, I didn't see Oh, that. yeah. Like the very first thing they start doing is programming themselves to have a whole different language. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. So they start looking for freedom immediately. Yeah, yeah, so so don't laugh too hard at that, buddy. Yeah. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's or rather life insurance's most important questions. Our friends over at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they've been spearheading innovation within the life insurance industry by focusing on those two things you value most, OG. This morning, protein shakes and coffee. I thought you were going to say automation and biscuits. I don't know. But of course, it's your family and your time, and that's why they've created a high-quality and most importantly, affordable term life insurance policy issued by MassMutual that you can purchase entirely online. There's no need to wait several weeks for a decision when you can get one instantly with Haven Life. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote and learn about life insurance the modern way. stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. Today, we're throwing out the Haven Lifeline to our new BFF, Hillary. Say hello, Hillary. Hi, Jonah G. This is Hillary. I've been doing a lot of math and reading up on student loan debt in preparation for law school, and I've come across two debt payoff strategies that I wanted to ask you about. One, you pay off your student loan debt quick as you can directly to your lender or lenders to head off interest before it accrues. Or two, you put money you plan to use to pay off your student loan debt into index funds, and then when it gets close to the total amount you owe, you withdraw it and then pay the debt. 
I get the sense that this latter option is more useful if you have low interest rate debt, but it also seems like it carries more risk. Just wondering what your thoughts are on this. Thank you very much. Hillary, fantastic question and one that uh, we use other places as well. So, OG, what do you think? Hey, Hillary. Um, I think the other piece of this that you're missing is that you have to basically make double payments, right? You have to make the minimum payment to keep your student loan out of default. And then you also have to make extra "quote unquote" payments to your investment account. Well, I think that's her. I think that's her point. If I'm going to make that extra payment, do I apply it directly to the loan, or do I apply it to an index fund? Whatever's extra on top of what they demand. Yeah, the only time I would do this would be for real estate, right? For your primary residence, where you're trying to pay it off in 15 years versus 30, you make the 30-year loan make the 30-year payment, and then extra money you invest because it gives you some flexibility. At the end of the day, if you get to year 15 and you still have 15 years on your mortgage, you know, it's not the end of the world, right? You still have equity in the house. Whereas student loans, there's no equity attached to that, right? So you do want to get these paid off as quickly as possible. Arguably, you could say there's some interest rate arbitrage opportunities. If you've got a really low, you know, one or 2% interest rate, and you say, well, I can get eight, nine or 10 in the market. So maybe that's what I want to do. But Hillary, you hit the nail on the head. The risk, I think, is just too high where you could end up with kind of the double whammy of your extra payment money being used up, so to speak, with market fluctuations if the market goes down. And what else happens when the market goes down? The economy starts sucking. You've got potential employment issues. Maybe you're laid off and now that extra bucket of money is dwindling because you're using, you know, so there's too many, too many variables here. If you're on track for your goals and you're got extra money that you want to save, or so to speak, to pay off your student loans, I'd pay them directly. To so the you're saying loan. the difference is, is that property is an appreciating asset. Well, that versus, was way more succinct than what I said. Like versus, like versus no asset. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. You got the education, right? Yeah, but the, education the education is a sure. sunk yeah. cost. It's not something that you get extra yeah, money it's not for. Rising. Yeah. yeah. You know, I don't I know, what do you think about this? I'll tell you, I think it's an interest rate decision. And there's this uh, concept, which is called the risk premium. And it depends on how big a wedge we can drive between the interest rate we get in the financial markets conservatively and uh, the interest rate that we're going to pay on those student loans. So if I can get the student loans down to an interest rate, you know, that's uh, below. Yeah, see, the problem is. I don't know how low you can get that student loan without refinancing it into something that's that's you know like a house or a home equity line of credit. OG, that's the that's the hard thing. Well, and then there's the taxation on the on I mean, the on the money. You if, know, so if, if there's some way somehow that I could get that baby down to four, and I think and it's a long term student loan. Like as an example, if my student loan, if it's going to take me 15 years to pay off that student loan, I'm very comfortable with this strategy. If it's going to take me seven, eight, nine years to pay the student loan or less, forget it. I, I don't want anything to do with the interest rate arbitrage because the stock market becomes safer, Hillary, the longer the time frame is you have. So when I know that I've got 15 or 20 years, I'm very confident in the stock market over that period of time. You give me five, six years, I'm not that confident in the stock market because the swings are too big. I mean, OG has said in the past that in an average year, the stock market from the, the top to the trough will go, you know, fluctuate 14%. That's a, that's a lot. That's a kick in the teeth. And that's in an average year. You've seen on some of those standard deviation charts where, you know, it, it could go down 40%. You're still going to be okay over 15 years. Yeah. Yours is a well put argument there of the timeline of when do you expect to pay it off? I like that. I think that's the first thing I'd look at. And then that interest rate difference has got to be a lot because, oh, gee, I'm with you. If the student loan's at 6% and we think conservatively we can get eight in the market, is it is it worth the 2% difference? Yeah, no. Which really- well, I mean, you're going to pay taxes on that. You're going to pay you know 15% taxes anyway on that 8% gain. So that's darn near 20. There's There's your profit. Well, I mean, it depends on how that money gets taxed. If it's a if it's a cap gain, it, it it'll be tax deferred, right? I mean, I'll pay I'll pay it one you, time at the yeah, end. Yeah, but you're gonna pay it when you pay it. Yeah, you pay, pay it the day you need it to right. pay off the loan. And so, ten years of hard eight labor versus six, and right. then and then you know right. it's all wiped away in one fell swoop by the uncle Uncle Sam. Eking out a return you thought you had that your uncle takes. 
Hey, thanks for the question, Hillary. Hillary is going to get one of our t-shirts, OG, that Haven Lifeline sponsors. It's the greatest money show on earth t-shirt showing uh, me as the ringleader and some craziness happening like happens here on the show. And Hillary, expect that code coming your way for that shirt. If you have a question and would like us to throw out Haven Lifeline to you, it's stackingbenjamins.com. Look right at the top of our website. You'll see questions for the show. Click that link and uh, we'll answer your question here. We also take letters. Doug brings down the mail. I got a fun email the other day from uh, Brittany who said, uh, Joe, I won't tell Doug that he doesn't have to bring down the mail because it's on your computer. <laughs> I'm so I'm so it's cl- way it's way more fun when he gets pissed off that he has to like go to the office max to get printer <laughs> ink and he prints it and then he puts it in envelopes and addresses it to us addresses it and carries it down. but it's so much more fun that's automated we're talking about automation right <laughs> today doug brought down a letter from alex alex says what's up joe and og love listening to the podcast in my commute to work i used to think doug wasn't funny listening at one time speed but i ramped it up to 1.7 x and he really picks up Anyways, I recently rolled over my wife's 401k to an IRA. Thanks to your advice. Whoops, I might have learned something. I'll keep it to myself. So what happens to this rollover from a tax perspective? Previously, this was in a 401k tax deferred, but now we contribute to this rollover IRA with after-tax money. Is some portion pre-tax and some portion after-tax? Any insight would be great. Thank you. Thanks, Alex, for the question. And I also have to tell you, Alex and I discussed this letter a lot afterwards yeah i wouldn't do whatever it is you think you're doing gosh what a mess <laughs> i said the same thing what a mess so here's what's happening that. right so you've got pre-tax contributions and that's a certain dollar amount let's say that you've put in fifty thousand through payroll deductions and now it's worth a hundred thousand right under normal circumstances, that money would sit there and do what it does. And then when you go to retire, you take that money out and you're going to pay some income taxes on the distribution, right? You take out 10000 boom, you pay taxes on that 10000 Well, here's what's happening when you make non-deductible contributions. You're effectively changing the cost basis of a certain tranche of that fund, right? So you're saying, well, I've got 50000 of contributions that have grown to a hundred. That's fully taxable. And then in this other bucket, but it's in the same bucket, I have 5,000 of contributions that's grown to 10,000. So now when I go to take the money out, I've got 110,000. I want to take 10,000 out. The IRS says, oh, cowboy, 5% of that or roughly 5% of that is going to be tax-free because that's the return of your money, that 5,500, part of that 5,500. And the other 5,000 is going to be return of gains, which is fully taxable. Here's the problem with all of this. You have to keep track of it. The IRS does not. And so you have to fill out an extra form for your tax return every year. It's called a form 8606. And you have to fill out that form every year from now until the end of time. And if you don't do it, you have no proof to say, well, hold on, IRS. Some of this money is mine after tax. A much better solution to this, by the way, would be to use a Roth IRA, but let's assume you can't for income purposes or whatever the case may be, just open another IRA. And now you've got two different accounts. Now it's still going to have the same problem. You still have to fill up the 8606, you you know, but at least it's a little easier to keep track of than commingling it in one fund. I just, oh man, that is tough. In fact, I can distinctly remember a number of clients who have done this over their lifetimes you know what the result is? You know what they end up doing? They go, it's just not worth filling out the form anymore. Ugh. I can't I can't keep track of it. I don't even care. They're just going to pay the extra money. I'm just going to pay taxes on all the money. I don't want to fill out the forms anymore. Oh. And you go, okay. Don't, uh, I, boy, I wouldn't do that. Not I, fun. I, I would I'll, just do the Roth. Or, or, well, I also talked to Alex a little bit about this, and he said something similar to what a lot of people said, which is that the funds inside his 401k stink. And he wants to use funds that are much lower cost. And I said, beating that pre-tax tax tax deduction, your 401k, right, is way hard to beat on fees. Well, it would have to be a 20 some odd percent internal expense ratio, not 2% or 0.2%. It would have to be 20 or something, right? Depending on your tax. Yeah, I mean, mean, wherever he's at income-wise, it would have to be this monster thing in the first year. That's the big myth that I think has been 
propagated lately is that you have to absolutely find the lowest possible cost thing. And if you don't have the lowest possible cost thing, you know, you shouldn't invest pre-tax into that fund. There's a much better way to do this. Take your grievance to the HR department. Absolutely. Right? Say, hey, guys, I don't know if you know this, but these funds suck. And here's the reason why. Yeah. And now present a solution. Say, I've researched these five companies, and I think if we replace these funds with a selection from these companies, you're not going to be trying to be the investment advisor to the plan, but you can say, I see we have all ABC funds. I think we should use XYZ funds. Look, they're different. You know, they have the same same structure, but they're going to be a little bit lower cost, and that benefits you, employer, it benefits us, so we don't have to sue you later on down the line. Remember when we had a when we had a listener to the show, Mark, I believe his name was, write to us because he's a teacher and teachers have these things 403Bs instead of a 401k. Yeah. And if you get enough teachers to sign up, you can add somebody else, uh, add, add somebody else to the list. So he put together a whole presentation, invited a bunch of teachers to come and talked about the difference in fees that they're paying with who the school district endorsed right then. And if they brought in Vanguard funds. And so he was able to get Vanguard approved because he got X number of people through. It's not going to be the same with a 401k, but you can certainly put together a presentation showing them, Hey, here's what we're paying. Here's, here's what a low cost option would be. And maybe they won't go with the lowest cost option, uh, the one that you directly want, but they, they, they can. Well, there's other factors to it too, that you don't see, right? I mean, there could be, there's cost structures that the employer's paying and that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, if you're so dissatisfied, don't martyr yourself to the tax man. Be like, well, I'll just deal with, you know, I'll show my grievance by not participating. Yeah. Yeah. Still, right. It's still tax free or I'm sorry, it's still pre-tax. Right. Right. So thanks for the question, Alex. And uh, good luck with that, by the way. Hope that was helpful, man. I, I hope you, Alex hears this. This episode, I wrote to him and said, "Man, we're gonna we're gonna talk about this." And certainly, he and I had a long discussion about this, also, because he definitely doesn't want to be doing that. You got a question for the show? Whether it's to have us throw out the lifeline to you, or uh, if you want to write us a letter, it's Joe at stackingbenjamins.com, or head to Stacking Benjamins and right at the top of the site, you'll see questions for the show. Thanks to everybody else who's left us a review. We made it to four hundred views. OG four hundred made it there just last week. So thank you very much to everybody who's taken the time to leave us a review of the show on iTunes. Well, they don't call it iTunes. They call it Apple Podcasts now. So got to remember to say that. Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to shows. Thank you very much. And if you're looking for financial help in your corner, OG's taking clients to get on OG's calendar to talk about what it would take for he and his team to work with you on your finances. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash letter O letter G, and uh, that'll lead you to his calendar. Coming up on Wednesday on this here podcast, guess what we got happening? Ever worry about the investment decisions that you're making are not uh, what they should be? Ever wonder what uh, maybe more data would bring to the table? We've got uh, two gentlemen, Stuart Cruz from Cruz Asset Management and Sean Brown, the CEO of YCharts. We're talking data, asset management, and avoiding shiny objects, OG, because a lot of times, as you know, people make investment decisions looking at the wrong stuff or changing their game plan a lot. And Stuart and Sean going to bring a lot to the table. We're going to get a little granular here before our week off next week. Getting into the weeds, huh? Just a bit. We try not to, but this is going to be fun, I think. With, uh, Nerd Sean alert! Here we go. Yeah. All right. See everybody back here Wednesday. Go stack some Benjamins. Bye-bye. Thanks, Joe. I'm going to let you get back to playing with that new automatic cheese straightener you just bought. But let me tell the folks what they should have learned today. First, robots. Take a lesson from Bill Studebaker. Maybe robots won't take away your job. Maybe they'll just give us all lots of new ideas to invest and help us pursue better opportunities. Either way, automation is here to stay. Second, thinking about refinancing your house to give money to your kids? Yeah, you probably shouldn't do that. But the big lesson... Don't get hooked up announcing a money podcast, hoping someday a robot will take your job. Turns out I might be on the hook doing this for a hell of a lot longer than I'd planned. So much for that life of leisure. Special thanks to Bill Studebaker from Robo Global for joining us today in the basement. You'll find out more about the Robo Global Exchange Traded Fund if you head to our show notes page where, yeah, 
You got it. StackingBenjamins.com. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Kathleen Selmans handles design, newsletter, and classroom opportunities. If you'd like to learn more, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash classes. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. Shannon Cowan is our community manager and social media guru. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I really thought doing these credits completely naked would have been a lot more fun than it actually was. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. I started to mention this earlier. I'm seeing all this stuff about the fires out West and man, just horrible stories, just absolutely rotten stories. Did you see the, the man and woman that uh, were trapped? And so they jumped in the swimming pool and I've seen two stories. One was successful. One was not as much. Yeah. This one, the, the terrible, the man lived, the woman died in his arms, which is just, just, uh, tears at you. And then another one was, the youngest member of a family, the family was trying to outrun it. Literally the family's running and the youngest kid doesn't make it. And that's horrible. But in the midst of all of these horrible stories, I saw a story yesterday that was, that was saying with all of this tragedy, the fact that it's in Northern California means that tons of weed, just tons and tons of marijuana is going up in flames and the price of marijuana is probably going to get higher. And Ouch. I thought, and I, and I thought, yeah, yeah. I did, pun not intended there. Totally didn't think about that. But, but I was, I was thinking if I'm a firefighter and I'm out there fighting fires and I come across the marijuana field and you know, the smoke inhalation and like, dude, no, I, I- <laughs> I'm like, really, of all the things things to talk about in this, like the one thing I wouldn't think of to write about, I'm a writer sitting at my desk, people passing away, homes being destroyed, all these wineries, right, being leveled, like all of this, all of this destruction, all this destruction happening. And there's some writer going, oh, we need a story. Man, I bet the price of pot's going to go through the roof. (laughs) I I know what we, nobody's covering this angle. This is the angle that we totally need on this story. I don't know. It just struck me as uh, a little, the sarcastic side of me, OG. Oh, so, so this was a story you read. This isn't something you've thought of yourself. No, I was no. wondering how heartless you would be to worry no. about the price of weed going up. No, I thought it was funny that somebody else thought of this. Like, out of all the things out there to think about, why does a writer go, "Oh, here's an angle. Here's the thing. I think we gotta think we gotta talk about this." <laughs> Maybe not, but um, yeah, I would leave off the uh, weed problem. But it would be a pain in the ass, right? It's just like when you're. I've often wondered about like you know, those DEA guys or whatever, and they go into those homes that are, you know, they got all the drugs everywhere. You know, how do you not inhale some of that stuff, you know, and then keep your wits uh, about you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Anyway, I I found that um, in the face of all of this horrible stuff going on, the cynical part of me thought that was kind of funny. Okay. So, uh, but good luck to everybody out there with uh, just no. a little rain, just a little rain, oh, please. Lord. Just a skosh would be okay. Please. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month, and I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law Eric who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website. Resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.